0: Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind.
1: Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Divas and Al ruminate on the Great and Spacious Beehive. This week, we have episode 32 for the week of November 6, 2022, coming at you. We have a very special guest. We have Radio Free Mormon joining the podcast, so we're we thrilled to have him. we want to give him his warm welcome. And we're going to talk with him about David Archuleta stepping back from the church. Um, Also, there's an LDS meeting house that's been repurposed as a food bank. We'll let you know about that. Also, we're going to discuss the Canadian census results. So is the LDS church growing in Canada? We'll see what the LDS church says, and we'll also see what the Canadian census says. Also, we have Elder David Bednar admitting that he's boring. This is going to be an excellent episode. Glad you tuned in.
0: Hey, um, it's great to be here. Uh, uh, great to be here, Al. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at www.mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can uh, uh, send us an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. So uh, and now for the man who needs absolutely no introduction, especially to his ex-wife's lawyers, Radio Free Mormon. Welcome to the Mormon News Roundup.
2: Hey, how are you doing? Is it dives?
0: Uh, it's uh, pronounced divas.
2: Divas. Okay, I got it. I'm going to write that down. Now, is that plural for diva?
0: <laughs> well it depends on if you ask my kids or your ex-wife's that lawyer yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> now it is an honor though uh to visit with the man who's done more save john delin only for the mormon podcasting world than any other man that ever lived is that pretty accurate al
1: I'd say that's pretty dang accurate. <laughs> I can't think of anybody that's had more impact, for sure. Yeah,
0: it, it, he's very, very tough to nail down uh, as far as getting him on the podcast. In fact, he's, I would say he's tougher to nail down than a thief on the cross. I mean, I was really starting to feel like Martin Harrison, the 116 Lost Pages of the Book of Mormon. I mean, I had to ask him three times to join us. I said, you know, RFM, will you please come on the podcast?
1: What was your response to that, RFM? Oh, my
2: gosh. Yes. Hang on a second. I'm sorry. I was trying to navigate around here. What was my response? when you? I said no. Of course I said <laughs> no. Like anybody in the right mind would say no.
0: Yeah, it make, makes a lot of sense. Well, I waited a couple of weeks and, I, and I, you know, I asked you again. I said, hey, will you please come on the podcast? I said, please this time.
2: Right. And then I said, hell no.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm not only tougher
2: to nail down than a thief on a cross, I'm tougher to nail down than Mormon doctrine on the wall.
0: Yeah, for sure. That, 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 and I was starting to get the message, which was why I waited a couple more months. And I finally asked three times, It's kind of like Martin Harris. I asked third third time, will you please come on the podcast?
2: Or like Tony Orlando and Don. Yeah. <laughs> do you get that one? I do. do you like get that, that one? one. You go to the head of the class. Not three <laughs> times on the ceiling if you want me.
0: Well, I just I don't think you should say RFM three times. It's probably a lot like Beetlejuice, you know. Yeah, I um, could
2: appear in a mirror and bad things happen from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but if you remember to our listeners out there, if you recall, it took Joseph Smith, it took him several times to obtain the sacred golden plates, so I wasn't about to give up on my righteous goal. That being said, we do draw the line on exhuming a dead body to secure a guest for this podcast, right, out.
1: Well, hashtag Alvin for the win.
0: Yeah, good old Alvin. Now, um, I do, I never let go of the iron rod. As Elder Holland might say, I don't have a patty-cake, taffy-pulled mindset. No, sir, absolutely not. And that's why I kept texting you, RFM, hey, do you still have that text?
2: You know, Alvin was always one of my favorite chipmunks. (laughs) Alvin! (laughs) We'll just keep going. Yes, um, I do have that text. I do have the text that you sent me the third time, right?
0: Yes, the third time. That's correct. Is that the
2: time when I said, sir, this is a Wendy's?
0: No, no, right after that.
2: No, this is the time when you said, okay, me quoting you in a text to me from you. Here we go. I don't want the same thing that happened to Martin Harris to happen to you. That's you to me. After Martin abandoned the one true church he aimlessly wandered the lone and dreary world without purpose and died penniless cold and alone but take heart (laughs) coming on to the Mormon News Roundup
1: could prevent that from happening to you um yeah Mormon News Roundup offers no guarantee on that
0: yeah I mean a wise man once (laughs) said that you can crap in a box and write guaranteed on it right Al
1: I believe so. I saw Tommy Boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely. Now, uh, by the way, after leaving the One True Church, Oliver Cowdery also, he died of tuberculosis. So if you think about it, you know, he never came on the Mormon News Roundup either.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to detect a pattern here. Failing to come onto the Mormon News Roundup can have serious negative health consequences.
0: Yeah, and that also happened to RFM back in episode 20. He, um, you know, he, he did have some health problems for our last uh, time we tried to get you on, right, RFM?
2: did I well the last time you tried to get me on it wasn't so much health as it was computer problems my computer blew up right before the show started yeah
1: that was exciting I remember that
2: one I still haven't recovered from it it's really been bad and if you want to know you didn't ask but I'll tell you anyway no I was working on a podcast which I was partially done editing it was all recorded about halfway done editing I was really looking forward to it it got lost
0: that's understandable. We get it. You know, uh, you, you still remained a bit equivocal, uh, though, about ruminating on this great and spacious beehive with us, which is why we upped the Andy by quoting the Bible. And I, I know, Arfim, that you never go anywhere without your uh, triple combination. You, I haven't you, memorized,
2: actually. So, yeah. yes, I never <laughs> go anywhere without it.
0: Yeah. So uh, do you remember that scripture that I sent to you about that?
2: <laughs> yes. Revelation 6.12. And I looked as he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth and the moon became as blood. And the seas boiled and the skies fell. Judgment day.
0: Yeah, where have I heard that before? That's not a popular uh, movie, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it was actually misquoted in Ghostbusters.
0: But, but uh, the, the most important question for, for, for me, RFM, is how did your bosom feel after I sent that scripture to you?
2: Oh, it burned. It burned for days.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: I but finally no... had to go out and get some uh, Keopectate. No, no stupor <laughs> of thought there? <laughs> and when I say misquoted, the quote is correct. But in the movie, they said Revelation seven twelve, when actually it's Revelation six twelve.
0: Oh, ah. okay. But you had absolutely no stupor of thought either, right?
2: No, no, not until I actually agreed to come on your show.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, it might get worse before it gets better, um, but I did, I did fast and pray about you, RFM. I felt a distinct impression, one might even say a still small voice, that I needed to quote modern prophets, seers, and revelators, specifically Bishop H. David Burton. Uh, the presiding bishop right back in uh, 2001, I'm, I'm sure everyone remembers his eminent and acclaimed general conference talk entitled Standing Tall. I mean, who could possibly forget that hackneyed talk? And, and I've got the quote right here. It, said, it is said that a fence sitter eventually has to come down on one side or the other. If we are sitting on the top of life's fences, now is the time to muster the courage to stand tall in the sight of righteousness and shun the shackles of sin and commit to a date to be on the Mormon News Roundup.
2: Well, this is what we have modern prophets for. By the way, 2001 is a bit late in the game to be talking about fence sitters in general conference. Don't you think?
1: <laughs> Everybody, this is for our day <laughs>
0: yeah well i mean we didn't we didn't abandon the uh, fence sitters until 2013 so that's actually well ahead of his time
2: 2013
0: yeah gospel topics essay uh blacks in the priesthood uh, we disavow the theories of uh, fence sitters you
2: know oh i see okay uh, when we finally mm-hmm. formally officially renounce something that we're not even going to say that we taught
0: that is correct so that yes, one yes okay got it Yeah, so this is well, well within that time. Uh, Very prophetic. You know, I had in my notes, though, to pause for loud laughter at that time, but that would be a sin. So uh, I think we should keep it going, Um, you know, but uh, you were still not convinced, which I totally understand. Uh, I felt a bit to need to be uh, be a bit firmer. And so I pulled out the world-renowned LDS missionary commitment pattern. I mean, that is something that literally never failed. And what is that commitment pattern, RFM?
2: The commitment pattern. I remember that from when I was a missionary in Japan. (laughs) That'll be funny later. Okay. Um, but, I, I, yes, I remember the commitment pattern. I remember that the one thing that commitment pattern doesn't have anything to do with is challenging an investigator to baptism at the end of the first discussion. That never happened.
0: Oh, oh right. that was yeah, I seem to remember that as well. Yeah, yeah. it has you nothing know, to do with that. <laughs> yeah, it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. But for those who refuse to come on this podcast, I also sent you the uh, the uh, movie of that Matrix uh, movie shootout where uh, Trinity and uh, the uh, Neil they go into the basement of that in the second movie and they shoot everybody up. Now somebody, I uh, said, you know, hey, we don't want this to happen to you. Some would say that I'm taking things a little too far, but hey, that never uh, stopped Sidney Rigdon, right? You've heard of the Salt Sermon,
2: uh, July Fourth, eighteen thirty eight. No, never heard of it. <laughs>
0: Now, if only we had the text of it, that's the, that's the secret. And, and does it, Al, does it not say in the Doctrine and Covenants that sometimes we need to uh, rebuke be times with sharpness, but afterwards turn up the guilt?
1: Uh, it is said, the truth shall set you free.
0: Right. <laughs> and But eventually, RFM, he did commit to coming on, for which we're all very, we're, we're all eternally blessed and grateful, especially now that we're not going to have to put a javelin through him.
1: This will always be so.
2: Yeah, you're going to need a pretty long javelin to get all the way through me.
0: <laughs> you're gonna
2: need a bigger javelin
0: <laughs> that's from a movie too you're gonna need a bigger what is that that's a movie right yeah it's ghostbusters oh, more. Yeah. more mm-hmm. okay more yeah. ghostbusters by the way that's supposed to
2: be funny for anybody out there who thinks that i really think that line is from ghostbusters
0: yeah. I thought it was hilarious I mean, that, wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't in the read ahead. Uh, I, I need to do my readings a little bit better. I forgot that that was in the read ahead for this uh, episode.
2: Yeah, it was a f- famous line that was ad-libbed by Roy Scheider in Ghostbusters.
0: Very good. Yeah. Very, very well. You know, well, we all know without a shadow of a doubt that the church has absolutely no paid ministry. But RFM, I think our listeners deserve to know how much your basic retainer is for a uh, C-list podcast appearance.
2: Well, we've got two of you there. And that's Al and d right? that's right yes, hmm. okay I'm working on my pronunciation okay all I require from you both is 50% of your annual earnings from all sources
1: um, all right um, kind of, it's a little that, steep that's fine but uh, instead of a salary can we just call it a modest living allowance it just sounds better more palatable. It
0: Does sound better that's uh, that sounds a little bit better for sure you know, uh, um, I, I think we can agree to that, though, for sure. Um, and getting uh, RFM's phone number, that was harder than uh, Joseph Smith selling the copyright to the Book of Mormon. I mean, uh, listeners, RFM, he actually made his covenant before God, angels, and these witnesses that we would never reveal his phone number. And I still don't know why that was necessary. But luckily, hey, we're post-1990, and there were no penalties aso- associated.
1: Hashtag give thanks. Very appropriate <laughs> this time of year. <laughs>
0: Good point now, you're not going to believe this though, but the, the final straw here was honestly RFM's law firm. He's on, on his official letterhead. Um, he forced us to sign and notarize the following statement, which says, We, the undersigned, VV's and Al, solemnly swear to never reveal RFM's phone number, nor his accompanying real name, nor auction them to uh, anyone on Reddit uh, as the highest bidder.
1: Yeah, this was uh, uh, very humiliating for us, but uh, you got our signed faxes, right? RFM, yeah, I received those, but there's one problem
2: with those signed faxes, and that is this. You don't get to notarize each other's statements.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, well, man. we may have to, uh, um, you know, acquit Mormon. You know, they have the notarization thing too. We might have to get our notaries. Uh, 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 we might have to check our notaries on
1: that. I but don't now, know any other people to notarize it for me. <laughs>
0: Especially where you live, Al. You live out of yeah, nowhere. Exactly. Not, that's obviously, we're just kidding. We definitely draw the line. On we, we draw the line on signing any NDAs, right, Al?
1: Well, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast this podcast from progressing you bet
2: yeah right no one hallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing just watch my stuff man hold my beer <laughs>
0: <laughs> now we also um this this whole this whole entire dialogue it really reminds me of matthew chapter 22 the uh, parable of the wedding banquet um where uh you know uh you know the parable are you familiar with that rfm uh, the parable of the wedding banquet in uh, the new testament
2: Sure, you guys couldn't get Elder Bednar on the program to recite that parable for you?
0: Um, No, unfortunately, he's not returning our messages for some reason.
2: And read John O. Reed's interpretation of it as if it were his own? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we should read that one.
0: (laughs) Although he did do an Instagram Live last month, but uh, unfortunately, that was not one of the questions that he took. Um, But the uh, parable actually is that uh, Jesus, uh, the parable is this. No, don't you want me to read this? Oh, oh, yeah, sure. By all means.
2: Okay, the parable of the wedding banquet, right? Yes. Here we go. And I looked as he opened the sixth seal and beheld there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth and the moon became as blood.
0: Wait a minute. That's, that's not exactly what I remember the parable of the wedding banquet being.
2: This is the scripture for tonight.
0: Oh. Okay. okay, okay. That's the theme. <laughs> okay, that's the theme. We'll keep that in mind. Okay, hang
2: on. Okay, that's supposed to be a running gag so let me do this right okay <laughs> this is what you sent to me to read from that rather lengthy parable Sons john o Reed. Oh. the kingdom of heaven is like a king that makes sense who prepared a wedding banquet <laughs> for his son i mean what's the kingdom without a king sure. a wedding banquet for his son presumably the prince he sent to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come but they refused to come the king was enraged then he said The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Many are invited, but few are chosen.
0: It does remind me a lot about uh, this podcast and your interaction. How do you interpret this uh, parable, R.F.M.?
2: Well, the first question I have is, what's for dinner? (laughs) By the way, I thought that all Mormons had heard of this expression before, but maybe only those who went on their missions to a cold place and we would talk about those who got called in Japan to Sapporo, which is up there at the northern part of the island, yeah, or the islands. And the uh, the common expression is "many are cold, but few are frozen."
0: Uh, <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I, I've uh, heard that one before. Yeah, yeah, I've
1: heard
0: that. <laughs> yeah, but we we've actually invited a lot of people on this podcast, but very few accept uh, in, the invite, right, Al?
1: That's very true. We've uh, reached out to several people and uh, we get uh, we get one every now and again. But uh, this is the one uh, this has been our silver tuna chasing down RFM for sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm your great white whale, am I? What kind of crack is that? I my, I, we're going to need a, a a bigger javelin. we are going to need a bigger harpoon. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, we may need a bigger boat. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, yeah, we invited RFM back on uh, episode 20, but he couldn't come. Um, and and you know, it kind of reminds me of the malevolent spirit that attempted to interrupt uh, Joseph Smith's first vision, right? I mean, I, you know, Satan is always trying to uh, uh, stop the ball from rolling down the uh, mountain, right, Al?
1: Yeah, Lucifer is obviously doing that which has been done on other podcasts.
0: Yeah, that's, that sounds very familiar to me, but this, this seriously is a true story. I told my daughter that we were having a big, uh, big guest on the podcast this, uh, this week, and she, um, without, without skipping a beat, she asked if it was Satan. How should I have responded, RFM? Nailed it. <laughs> but I, what I really did the trick here was when I told RFM that an angel with a drawn sword appeared to me and threatened to kill me if he refused to come on, and that finally did the job.
2: Yeah, well, actually, that's what kept me from coming on all those prior times.
0: Oh. oh.
1: Well, happiness is the object and design of our existence.
0: Yes, it sure <laughs> is. Now, uh, let's get to know RFM just for a couple of minutes here. Um, why did uh, Radio Free Mormon, why did you start a podcast?
2: Why? Because I've got words in my head, so I say them. To quote the memorable line from Kiki D. Uh,
1: that's very similar to why we started this podcast.
2: Well, we have uh, so much in common. Yeah. I feel um, like we're old friends.
1: Yeah. So um, what would you say that is your like your goal or uh, what is it you, you're hoping to accomplish with, uh, with your podcast? Well, what I like to do is
2: I like to do a deep dive into Mormonism to find out and talk about the things that I am not allowed to talk about or was not allowed to talk about at church. And nobody could talk about them at church. Find out what's going on, frankly, after many decades of research in Mormonism, and a lot of that time being an apologist, I ended up being a person who knows where the bodies are buried.
0: Yeah, makes okay. sense. Uh, do you, uh, what, what other podcasts do you enjoy out there? Do you, do you, um, do you I really do... like
2: Mormonism Live, in addition to Radio Free Mormon.
0: <laughs> well, we figured that, but is there any others that you personally do not uh, uh, author or uh, any other uh, podcast or shows that you enjoy?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, this is, you put me in a terrible position and the position you put me in is that if I name one, then there are others that I don't name. And it's the not naming that I fear more than the naming. I can't possibly mention all of those that I really like. Oh, there's Mormon discussions. There's marriage on a tightrope. How about those? There's Rami ruminations
0: makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense. Now, I understand that you are uh, looking to move out to Utah. Um, I, I've heard that. Um, is, is that true? Uh, how's that going?
2: Mm. That has been put in abeyance for the foreseeable future due to circumstances beyond my control.
1: Yes, and that's the housing market just, can't, you know,
2: bottomed. Right, and I understand there's a problem with uh, the air being somewhat toxic down there in Salt Lake City.
1: Sure. yeah we get really bad inversion around uh, the winter time especially yeah, yeah um, so not now not right now
0: yeah you did a recent podcast uh, uh rfm on um the windows of heaven and um you talked about uh, showing that film strip uh, the windows of heaven um when you were a missionary in japan <laughs> um I, and i sent you that windows of heaven film strip did you get a chance to look at that uh, what would you think
2: i had the chance but i didn't look at it i'm so sorry i really feel badly not But no, I remember very clearly from my mission, because we showed it so many times. That's one of the things as a missionary, which will soon be forgotten to history, is that you have film strips, right? And you've got a cassette player that goes in the tape player while you do the film strip. And if you're a newbie, then you play the one side that has the little beeps when you change the the slide, right, on the film strip. So you get a beep, change the slide, Mm -hmm. beep, change the slide. But you know you've arrived you know you've arrived when you can play the other side of the cassette tape where there are no beats, but you know where to change it anyway.
1: You've mastered
2: this (laughs) real talent. Oh, and by the way, when Mm -hmm. Elder Snow gets that revelation, when he's talking at the St. George Tabernacle, and he's sort of blabbing on about nothing in particular Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know why he's down there, and he doesn't know what he's going to say because God just told him to go down there, and so he did. So he's up there talking, and then all of a sudden that light comes and he looks up into the light and he receives the communication from God that he needs to talk about money. And then yeah. he turns back to the audience. He, he brings his gaze down to the audience again after communing with deity and he says, Hakkirito Wakarimashita. So uh, you say it in Japanese?
0: I, that's not how I remember it. Well, I was,
2: I was teaching Japanese people. Yes. This is all in Japanese.
1: Oh! Did oh. I mention
2: I served my mission in Japan?
1: Sure, <laughs> yeah, but yes, but, yes, but yes. you didn't have to teach him English first, huh?
2: No, no. That was just a minor ruse that was used occasionally by the missionaries in order to try and bring in fresh prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nobody, um, nobody wants to know what Hakirito Wakarimashita means?
1: I, I, I am a little bit uh, curious. What, what, uh, can you translate it for us? What it means is I
2: am wearing no pants. <laughs> no i'm kidding it doesn't mean that that's a silly he wouldn't say that, that even in japanese but it, that that it says is silly. It, i understand exactly
1: uh-huh oh you know that's that's not the, a, a far stretch from what he says in uh in the original yeah. no yeah. it's supposed to be an interpretation mm-hmm. or a translation yeah yeah that's very close Um, So, uh, RFM, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about your personal life or religious background?
2: No, not really. Do you want me to mention how much I'm regretting agreeing to coming on the show now? Uh, Uh, No, Feel free.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can mention that later. (laughs) But I do know that you have the uh, Mormon News Roundup joke of the week, right?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Hang on just a second here. I got a cough. I'm sorry. I still got this thing. All right. We, uh, right. we, we the Mormon joke of the week. Well, you know, there's a few funny Mormon jokes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of unfunny Mormon jokes. But the one joke that I heard a long time ago which I thought was funny was a guy dies. He's uh just some guy. Dies. He goes to heaven meets St. Peter. St. Peter's showing him around. And he's sitting there saying, "Okay, here's this, here's that, here's that." And the guy, the new guy in heaven says, "Hey, see, because they're up there on these clouds, right? I'm doing a terrible job of this joke. But, you know, it's typically what you think of when they go to heaven. There's the golden gates, the pearly gates. You go in, there's all these clouds. But the clouds have an edge, right? There's a place where the clouds stop. Mm -hmm. And and the guy says, well, what's over there? And St. Peter says, look, whatever you do, you don't go over and look over the edge of the clouds. You don't look down. You don't want to see what's down there. He says, why? He says, because that's that's hell down there. Mm -hmm. And so the guy thinks, wow, that's hell down there. And St. Peter gets busy with some paperwork, so the guy kind of moves over to the edge and he, He looks down and he sees what's down there. And he says to St. Peter, he says, hey, St. Peter, that doesn't look so bad. And St. Peter says, what are you doing? I told you not to look down there. And the guy says, yeah, but you said it was hell. He says, I see trees growing. I see lawns. I see orchards. It really doesn't look all that bad. And St. Peter joins him at the edge, looks over the edge of the clouds, sees the, the, the grass and the stuff. And he says to the guy, he says, damn it, those Mormons have been irrigating again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, So well I needed to
2: sort of tighten that up for full mm-hmm. impact because I'm not sure that the punchline was worth the trip to get there, but that's the joke. It was well, a fun it's ride. It's kind of
0: funny because uh, you know, the church has said that they were going to um, reduce the water uh, consumption in, in LDS chapels and the Axios article a couple of weeks ago uh, debunked that idea. So I don't think that I, I think they really are irrigating.
2: Really? Well, I've got a, a ideas how they could reduce water consumption in the chapels right off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. They do could use know. wine for the sacrament.
0: <laughs> yes. That's a very
1: good point. You know, <laughs> Thank you. Like like they used to do. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, a couple of last housekeeping items here before we jump into the news here. And we do have a, a special challenge for our listeners out there for this episode. Every time that uh, Radio Free Mormon says, uh, quote, when I was a missionary in Japan, and quote, everybody takes a shot. Now, are you guys both on board with this?
2: Well, yeah, I thought we were playing by those rules from the beginning. Oh. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm concerned already. <laughs> I'm a
0: lightweight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering the fact that I've never actually taken a shot, I'm probably going to lose this challenge, so um, maybe take it easy a little bit.
2: Okay, well, you're already at least three shots behind.
0: if i took three shots i'd probably be pretty wasted so um Mm -hmm. maybe we can add one other bonus in there and that's if at any time rfm mentions that he was a dance major or utters the word texas everyone donates a hundred dollars on their next tithing slip to that new uh, church tithing category um remember the name al that uh, new category that was released a couple episodes ago
1: oh yeah the, the new category on the tithing slip the enzyme peak second coming war chest rainy day just in case sacred not secret fund
0: yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So we've got two challenges. Uh, uh, when I was a missionary in Japan and also uh, Texas or dance. So this is, this is a lot of things to keep track of. Uh, this is going to be, uh, our, our listeners are going to be very engaged in this episode, I hope. I hope so. Did
2: I ever mention that I returned to Texas after my mission to Japan?
1: <laughs> that, uh... You guys know I have to go to work tomorrow, right? I mean, this, <laughs> and can I just add that I was also a dance major at the University of Texas after my uh, mission to Japan. You
0: don't say. You don't say. You know, this could be very expensive uh, very rapidly here.
2: Well, you've still got that extra 50% of your annual income that's left.
0: Sure. Just, well, uh, 50, 50% of nothing is uh, not not too much there. are. <laughs>
2: no, and nothing from nothing leaves nothing.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: but we are committed.
0: Yeah. Yes, you bet.
2: Well, you certainly not should be.
0: Yeah, some follow-ups <laughs> from uh, last week here before we hop into the news. Uh, I know uh, BYU football, they did win uh, yesterday against uh, Boise State. That brings their record to 5-5, five and five, and all they need to do is one, one, uh, win one more game out of their last two to become bowl-eligible. And luckily, uh, both of BYU's final opponents are 3-6. and six. So I, I would, uh, wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Cougars going to a bowl game this year. Um, and believe it or not, that is big news. Yeah, really? So is.
2: you're saying BYU has a football team? Um, allegedly
0: yeah (laughs) yes uh, the the one and only true football team rfm
2: (laughs) okay well i'm not really into football certainly not college ball but i'm glad that you follow it and apparently follow it closely
0: well i I wouldn't say that i necessarily am i'm too into it but i can tell you from uh, following the mormon news for some time that um when it comes to the percentage of people who know about byu the percentage of those people who who are into college football is far surpasses all other interest in BYU combined.
2: Well, there's really not I'm... that much interesting that goes on at BYU, so I can understand why.
0: Yeah, for sure. By the way, I
2: stopped following BYU football after David Archuleta stopped playing quarterback.
0: Well, speaking, of, <laughs> now, I wasn't aware that he did play quarterback, but I was aware from our first news article this week that he has, a, he has said that he is stepping back from the Mormon church after coming out as queer. And uh, he says that he's feeling liberated and that he has broken off three engagements to women. And this is from an article that came out on November 1st, 2022 in People Magazine. Um, he was struggling with uh, broken engagements and su- suffering suicidal thoughts. And the BYU uh, Idol alum opens up about his identity. And he said that he is officially, he's been hinting at this for some time, but he says that he is going to take a break from the religion for his own sanity.
1: Well, that's yeah, fair. He, he did give it a good try. Well,
2: he's certainly uh, done a lot for the church. You would think the mm-hmm. church would be appreciative for what he's done and just say, you know, uh, take some time off and get back to us when you feel better.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I, I'm not familiar with that ever happening. <laughs> I'm not familiar <laughs> with seeing that in the past.
2: No. And he feels suicidal. And that was in the, the article. True. And so I read that and I know a lot of people look at that and they go, my gosh, he's suicidal. That's horrible. And it is horrible. But on the other hand, I look at it and I say, That's exactly what a reasonable person would feel in the situation that David Archuleta found himself in. Of course, you feel suicidal. Tons of people feel suicidal in that situation, and some actually act on it, and some succeed on those actions, even though the LDS Church, or at least its apologists, claim there's no evidence that anybody's ever killed themselves because of the LDS Church's teachings on homosexuality.
1: Yeah, they they can say that, um,
2: but uh, boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they're proceeding under the theory of dead men tell no tales. It seems but be, it's yeah. obvious that here you've got a guy, David Archuleta, feeling suicidal. It's the most normal thing that you would feel under those circumstances. And I know this is kind of a light and a fun show, and I don't mean to bring it down, but <laughs> seriously, I mean, I've been there. Hasn't everybody been there at some point? But especially yeah. when... You're a person who does not fit into the Lord's Church. You know it's the Lord's Church. You've been raised in the Lord's Church. You served the mission. You sacrificed. Your entire identity is caught up in being a follower of Jesus Christ, according to the dictates of the LDS Church. But then you've got this thing in you that doesn't fit. And apparently, he tried as hard as he could for as long as he could to fit his, well, his square peg into the round hole of the church. And I don't mean anything. Uh, Sexual or double entendre by that. All I mean is that he's been trying to fit in an organization where he doesn't fit, and he's finally realizing that. So, of course, stepping back is going to make him feel liberated. And I just want to congratulate him and wish him the very best in his journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the article, he said that they're comparing uh, gay, being gay to murdering someone. And he, he was like, Well, I don't want to be an evil person. So he's getting a lot of negative messaging. Um, and he also said in the article that, hey, this used to be my world, but now it isn't. And and now what do I do? I have no idea. So, I mean, he doesn't know what he's going to do really with the rest of his life after um, after he's uh, stepping back.
2: Yeah, the, the answer that he's going to find out is what he gets to do with the rest of his life is be
1: himself. Yeah, and I think that, uh, that's something that he's going to find is going to be more liberating than anything. It's that freedom to be your, to live authentically.
2: Right. And so this, he gets into this position, and lots of people are in that position where they step back from the LDS church. The great thing, from my point of view as a new member in the church 40 years ago, the great thing about the LDS church is that it tells you every single thing that you're going to do every step of the way for your entire life. All of that is laid out, mapped, and dictated to you. On the other hand, the bad thing about the LDS church is that every single thing that you're going to do in your life has been mapped out and dictated for you, by the LDS Church.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, what happens when you grow up and you find that you don't actually fit um, the criteria? I mean, for for example, um, let's say you know someone grows up and they understand that their whole purpose is to grow up and uh, have children and have a family. What happens when they come to find out that they're sterile and that they can't produce children? And then you know everybody's uh, just you know harping on, well, adopt, 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 right? but it doesn't really make them feel any better. It makes them feel like they're kind of a a, a defective. Yeah, they're a second-class citizen. Exactly, yeah.
2: And And I would say that that is tragic enough, but I think that when a person is sterile, whether it is a man or a woman, and they can't produce children naturally the way that they are encouraged to do a lot in the LDS church by its leaders, I think that probably being sterile is something that a person would not... Identify as part of who they are as much as a person's sexuality.
1: Very true. Um, your sexuality is um, it's inseparably tied to who you are and what makes you a person. Yeah. Right,
2: right. So you're not being rejected for who you are if you're sterile. I mean, it it hurts enough. It hurts enough mm-hmm. to be rejected because you can't fit into the plan. You can't do the things that you're supposed to do according to God's will. But if you're being rejected for something that is who you are, that's got to be even worse.
0: Yeah, I follow a lot of the uh, fake. uh, There's a lot of fake uh, LDS newsroom accounts which do uh, parody uh, tweets and things like that. And somebody uh, tweeted out that uh, as a result of uh, David Archuleta formally saying that he's going to be leaving the church, that's something that he's been hinting at for quite some time. But as a result, Russell M. Nelson has called for a worldwide fast to end same-sex attraction.
2: Has he? I I hadn't heard that. That's fantastic. I love it when he has these worldwide fasts. I wish him the same luck that he had for the two worldwide fasts to turn back the COVID pandemic.
0: Yeah, obviously, that is a tongue-in-cheek uh, tweet, that's uh, for sure. And uh, one, one other thing about this is that, um, I don't know if you saw the uh, Cedar City uh, Kids Halloween costumes where they dressed up as uh, prisoners and with a black face. That seemed to have been making the rounds. But somebody tweeted out, uh, if you're defending the Cedar City Kids Halloween costumes but disparaging David Archuleta for leaving the church, then you have your priorities backwards. And that seems like a pretty reasonable sentiment. Yeah, I think
2: so. I think so. It's like, uh, what was it, Ron Weasley says to Harry Potter about Hermione Granger she's got to sort out her priorities <laughs> yeah for sure i didn't do a very good weasley impression sorry i'm under the weather
1: nice. it was it was still a really good uh reference though
2: well thank you see when I, when my voice is like this i'm much better at doing low voices like you mm-hmm. know uh sylvester stallone and rocky <laughs> yo yo adrian i feel like a bum you know what i mean
0: <laughs> hey, you know, well done <laughs> prefer ron weasley um, uh, impersonations than uh, uh, mentioning uh majors in college or any particular states that are uh, near the mexican border we'll just oh
2: up. i i understand we will not mention any more texas dance major or my mission in japan
0: okay okay got it that's fair that's fair now jehovah
2: um, jehovah jehovah
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 on one tonight that's good Now that, by the way, if you come on over to Anchor, we have a question of the week, which uh, if you come on over to Anchor, you can interact with us And the question of the week goes along with this David Archuleta, um, uh, this David Archuleta article. And the question is, how do you feel about David Archuleta's complicated relationship with the LDS church? So if you come on over to Anchor, you can interact with uh, us at that time. And speaking of, um, uh, uh, that takes us to our next article here, which is, um, this is official guys, Um, BYU students are not sexual deviants. I say. I say I'm gonna repeat that again. BYU students are not, I repeat not sexual deviance. And this is coming out of the Deseret News. And I know that a lot of people out there have been wondering that question. It, it looks like it's been definitively answered.
2: Well, that's a good thing. by the way, this is not tongue in cheek, right? This is an actual article that actually appeared yes. in the actual Deseret News.
0: Yes. yes it's November 3rd by Hannah Syriac. Yes. Perspective, no Rolling Stone. Latter-day Saint college students are on sexual deviance. Um, uh, but, well, that, that's an answer to, I think that's an answer to a lot of people's prayers. Up there. Wait, Hannah
2: Syriac wrote this? Yeah. Okay, well, one wonders what her basis of knowledge is.
0: Well, <laughs> hopefully not. I don't know if it's personal knowledge. I don't know if it's rumor. I don't know exactly uh, if there's been uh, studies on this. That would be uh, an interesting study. That's for sure.
1: I, I think her basis of knowledge is her personal opinion. I know, because you think,
2: <laughs> how would somebody know, especially Hannah, who I... I've met, and I like, but how would anybody, and especially a student, know that Latter-day Saint college students aren't sexual deviants unless they have been with all of them or not been with all of them?
0: Um, I guess from the article, I just want to read a little bit of it. It says, uh, searching for hypocrisy in the sex lives of religious people has become something of a sport among a subset of American writers, and they're specifically uh, referencing how uh, Rolling Stone said that uh, BYU students were, had incredibly bizarre sexual practices. And there's been a lot of articles, actually, that uh, seem to be really inventing things out of a whole cloth with no uh, evidence uh, that discuss the sex lives of BYU students. It seems to be an endless fascination for um, the general public. Uh, I, I just wonder, you know, why <laughs> that the Deseret News is taking time out to uh, confirm the, um, that the, the sexual practices of the BYU students are um, on the up and up find that to be a little bit amusing.
2: Well, I understand they took a poll of all BYU students and uniformly they answered, no, they're not sexual deviants.
1: <laughs> I guess so. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have to say that, um, you know, strictly speaking, that uh, uh, as far as uh, the sex lives of your typical uh, college student, BYU students are sexually uh, deviant from the, the typical norm in that uh, there's a lot of um, of, of what uh, abstinence um, and uh, a lot less sexual activity, whereas um, your average college student, this is the time where they really experiment and uh, come to know what their own sexuality is.
2: Well, yeah. right. And I think that's an excellent point that you make. And that was Al speaking, right? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, absolutely. And um, unfortunately, I think just as a sociological phenomenon, it can be observed that when a structure like a church, it's usually a religious institution that comes down very hard on expressions of sexuality, like the LDS church does with the law of chastity, that as a general rule, the sexuality isn't going to go away. It's going to go underground and then manifest itself in creative and unusual ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why we have things like soaking is is a thing, and uh, the 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 armpit crabs. You know, this is that's where that sort of thing comes from right in the loophole. Yep, that one too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that, and we 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 saw the Rolling Stone article last week, and honestly, ugh, it, the fact that it's unsourced and um, I don't know, kind of gross. That's really the reason we we discussed it over last week, and we decided that we really didn't want to cover it. But luckily, the church came out with a quasi-official position on it and uh, covered our basis for us.
2: Well, when Hannah Syriac speaks, people listen.
0: Well, when Hannah Syriac speaks, the thinking is over. You know, I think that's, I think I've heard that somewhere. The debate yeah, the is question
2: over. is whether the thinking has begun before she speaks. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't even. No, no, no. Okay, go ahead.
0: I'm sinking <laughs> oh myself
2: boy. on this ship. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> At you know, least I I'll, hope I'm taking you two with me.
0: Yeah, you know, BYU Provo isn't the only place that had some uh, interesting uh, news that came from this week. Also, uh, BYU-Idaho had some very interesting news, and this is from uh, David David Bednar gave a talk there on October 30th, 2022. He gave a devotional address at Brigham Young University, Idaho, and this was actually um, a part two of an address that he started way back at the University of Utah back in August. And it, basically, his thesis is that it is unreasonable to claim that faith in Christ is unreasonable now uh, it's kind of a tricky thesis but uh, in the in this particular talk uh, first of all my favorite apostle he strikes again uh and whenever you have a, an apostle who's at home court because of course he was a byu idaho a uh, president you're going to get some very interesting things and one of the things that he admits in his talk is that he himself is boring and i thought that was an incredible admission
2: yes well there's a line from
0: hamlet that comes to mind
2: there needs no ghost, my lord, come from the grave to tell us
0: this. Um, um, what is the interpretation? Uh, forgive me. What is the interpretation of that RFM? Can you help
1: no, me? No, duh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't need a ghost to come to tell you that. <laughs> oh, I got that. Exactly.
2: He is so boring. But the one thing that I know that is true about his entire talk, which I did watch this afternoon, by the way, is that he doesn't believe that he doesn't believe he's boring for a second. Oh, and no. in fact, he takes an intermission, right? He says, because I'm so boring, you know, we'll take an intermission. And the intermission is not an intermission. It's just a continuation of his presentation. <laughs> right. Hi.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> in, in his intermission, he, he puts up uh, images from the James Webb telescope. Mm-hmm. And those images are, um, I guess, are they supposed to confirm Joseph Smith's divine calling? Is that what he was supposed to do with the intermission?
2: Yeah, basically. Look at these pictures and uh, we'll listen to somebody read some passages from the Doctrine and Covenants about space. It is very cold in space.
1: And then we'll just uh,
2: say, how could Joseph Smith have known? Give me a break. He actually says, give me a break. How could Joseph Smith have known that space was this big?
0: I I, I can't I can't fathom. I honestly have no idea.
2: By the way, that reminds me of one of my favorite little black dress jokes. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of little black dress jokes? No, no. Okay, this is my favorite one. It says, when your mama puts on her little black dress, she looks like outer space. (laughs) I'm sorry, it should have started with, your mama's so fat that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your mama's so fat that when she puts on her little black dress, she looks like outer
1: space.
0: Uh, <laughs> this, is
1: a, this is a stark contrast to David Bednar. We've got uh, Radio Free Mormon, who's absolutely hilarious. Well, thank You're you. I boring.
0: appreciate that. You're not I,
2: boring at all. I need an intermission <laughs> from his intermission. That's how bad he is.
0: Well, I, I, I've i never heard of an intermission during a talk. Uh, that's, that's, that's really pioneering new ground. That's for sure. I know. And it's like, this is the new idea. Now,
2: his whole thing, and I know we don't have time for this. I'm, I actually may do a podcast. Devoted to talking about his talk. Okay. But I will just say this one thing. He is needlessly complicating things in his way. He has this way of doing things. He needlessly complicates something in order to give it the impression that it's profound. When actually, when you look at it for half a second, you realize this isn't profound at all. This is the same old, (laughs) same old. So when he says, if critics think that we're unreasonable for believing in Jesus, right? They are the ones who are unreasonable. So what he says, it is unreasonable to think that we're unreasonable for believing in Jesus. We should boil that down. All he's saying is that it is reasonable for us to believe in Jesus. Sure. But I think he frames it that way to make it sound impressive and also to give him a home court advantage because now he's not defending the church. He's attacking the critics who say that the Mormons are unreasonable
1: which well, he, just sounds to me like i mean when he says that it just sounds to me like i know you are but what am i you know
2: it, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> infinity yeah for sure <laughs> i know yeah. you are but what am i
0: yeah uh-huh.
2: infinity so the thing about it is that okay this is going to be one of the things i'll talk about on my podcast okay obviously obviously if you could just remove yourself from the society which is a Christian society in the United States or has been for an awful long time. And pretty much the majority of people are Christian. If you can remove yourself from that and try and look at it from the outside in an objective position, Christianity is one of the most unreasonable religions in the world. And the reason why is because it doesn't make a difference if you're a Mormon or if you're a Methodist or if you're Catholic or if you're a Baptist, because the entire religion is based upon the idea that a dead guy came back to life. Yeah, Therefore, and- don't try and tell me, Elder Bednar, that believing in Jesus is reasonable when it's not. It's the opposite of reasonable. It's unreasonable. And in fact, if it were reasonable,
1: it wouldn't be religion. Yeah, I've heard a couple of sermons from, uh, from uh, different Christian ministers that that's kind of their whole thing. It's like, oh yeah, Christianity is extremely unreasonable. Because yeah, it has to be. Yeah, that is dead, that is actually the
2: definition of, of, of religion. Oh, and religious absolutely. faith. Is yeah. it's not reasonable because if it were, it wouldn't be religion. You wouldn't have to have faith to believe it. It would be self-evident.
1: Yeah, because how often do you see the dead rise and you know go walking around again? Yeah. yeah very, very seldom. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 Elder Bednar, there he asks um, during that intermission with the James Webb's Telescope, in particular, he kind of asks him some rhetorical questions, and he said, and he said, was Joseph Smith influenced by the false traditions of his day? And he doesn't answer the question, but he seems to be thinking that the answer is no. Um, but but was he RFM?
2: Yeah, that's really really one of the problems he has in both parts because all he does is uh, the big overview of what he does. It says it's not unreasonable because. Joseph Smith came up with creative ideas and new theologies. If you just take it on its face, right? That's an unconvincing argument, right? It's not unreasonable for us to be Mormons because Joseph Smith was creative. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But when you look beyond that, you find out that Joseph Smith actually was not creative and that it is very hard to find anything that he ever put in scripture or promoted his doctrine that wasn't already in circulation in some other place in his cultural milieu.
1: Yes. That's very true.
0: Yeah. And the second question that he asked uh, is, uh, and these are all somewhat rhetorical uh, are the concepts and ideas expressed in Joseph Smith's revelations, the product of a frenzied and deranged mind. Um, did you have some thoughts on that second question from Elder Bednar? RFM?
2: Oh yeah. That's, that's another really strange thing that he does is what he does is he looks at the Book of Mormon and he looks at Corihor and he looks at Corihor's arguments to Alma in Alma chapter 30, right? In fact, that product of a frenzy deranged mind, that's a quote from Corihor in the Book of Mormon. So what he does is he takes the character of Corihor as he's arguing for his own position, Corihor's own position against Alma. And then David Bednard says he's going to refute Coryhor's position as if Coryhor, In the book of mormon represents what critics of the church are saying and believe today i would never say that a person who's a member of the church has to have a frenzied and deranged mind yeah it It seems to be
1: extreme isn't it yeah it's
2: it's it's a handy straw man argument oh i see that that's also in your your uh your notes you were going to say that Mm -hmm. weren't you it's a total (laughs) straw man but it's it's this interesting situation where the straw man is created by a character in a book that only Mormons believe is scripture.
0: Yeah, and his final question was, uh, did Joseph Smith merely guess right? And I kind of wondered about that question because I wasn't sure what he was speaking of. Is Did he guess right about what?
2: Yeah, that was was strange. But I think what he was trying to say is did Joseph Smith merely guess right that there's a whole lot of worlds out there and a whole lot of planets? And now we've got a, a telescope that can show us all of these galaxies and planets and everything in definition that we've never seen before. And so therefore Joseph Smith was right.
0: Ah, makes sense. Makes sense. Is there anything else, Al, or, or RFM on this uh, Elder Bednar's address that you, wanna, uh, you guys wanna cover?
2: No, I'm just glad it's only two parts and we've got the second part under our belt. We don't have to look forward to a third.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't need an intermission in the middle of discussing that.
2: <laughs> but I will say that the fact that he gave it in two parts suggests a lot of planning on Elder Bednar's part, which suggests that he thinks this is an important contribution to the discussion about Mormonism and its truth claims, which is why I am inclined to perhaps do a dive into, or should I say dive into, his talk for a podcast <laughs>
0: um, well I, I'm just grateful that there was absolutely no allegations of any plagiarism during this talk or the part one that's a, that's a big improvement from what we've seen in the past
2: it is it's so embarrassing for poor elder Bednar but I guess he's weathering it okay he's at least showing his face in
0: public yeah perhaps his speechwriter has a uh, frenzied and deranged mind I'm not sure
2: Yeah, I've got a working theory that the reason he wants to have intermissions in his talks now is so the audience can stand up and sit down one more time for him.
0: I hope not. I I hope not. Now, our next article here is uh, from the Canadian Census, and it's from uh, ldschurch.blogspot.com, which is a big uh, church watching uh, blog out there. They have a lot of statistics about uh, church growth in particular. And um, this particular article was dropped on Sunday, October 30th, 2022, and it was in regards to the Canadian Census, which um, the Canadian Census uh, goes from, uh, it's on the like 2020, it was from 2011 to 2021 instead of like the U.S. census, which is on the, uh, you know, the uh, 2010 to 2020. So it's slightly different there. But um, the census in, in Canada, this it's self-reported as far as your religion is concerned when somebody comes and knocks on your door. And the census reports uh, show that the church growth in Canada is at a 19 percent decline for that particular decade that we just went past. And this marks the most significant percentage decline in the self-affiliation of Latter-day Saints noted in a national census according to ldschurch.blogspot.com, who really does uh, knows a lot about it. Um, that's a stunning drop in uh, Canadian membership over this past uh, decade.
1: This is, uh, those are some pretty significant numbers. Um, this is, I, I'd say with the, with the census, um, I mean, just the, the census, once again, that is just people self-identifying. This isn't uh, sure. the church reporting. But wow, yeah, that's a significant drop.
0: Yeah, and, and what I also find to be interesting about this is that the church during the same time frame is reporting an 8% growth. And I know that a lot of people would look at that and say that one of these two things has to be wrong. But actually, if you think about the way that the church um, uh, conceives of its membership, that uh, people can stay on the rolls until they're 110 years old, as long as they don't have their names removed off of the uh, off the records, that both of these statements could technically be true. You could have a a 19 percent decline in self-reporting, but still have 8 percent growth as uh, in the way that the church reports the numbers.
2: I suppose that's possible. Um, I don't know what else to say about this, except you're right. It's hard to. Say that this is within the margin of error
1: yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess all this really shows is that the church is very what uh, skilled at uh, processing the numbers that they report
0: yep so um yeah the 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 the, the church reported the membership increased from one hundred and eighty five thousand to about two hundred thousand so it grew by about fifteen thousand members. But if you look at the percent of a 19% decline during that same period of time, you'd be looking at a loss of about 40,000 members. So we're seeing a real big difference, a real swing. Um, and Canadian tithing uh, also, the t- Canadian tithing, though, it did not decrease during this period of time because Canada and Australia are one of those countries that um, you're required to report your tithing. And tithing is still strong in, in Canada. And also the number of congregations increased, even though undoubtedly the number of people attending those particular uh, comp- uh congregations has decreased, but the number of actual congregations increased from 477 to 499. Um, So it's just very, it's it's such a strange conception of, uh, you just see a huge difference in what people feel about their own religion to what the church is uh, reporting. It's, It's a really wide divergence.
2: Well, I would suggest that if a person who's Canadian or any other nationality Who is a member of the church or was at some time and doesn't want to identify as a Mormon anymore? They're probably not going to church.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And definitely not paying tithing, right?
2: Yeah, that's very strange. But Mm -hmm. uh, I do know that the church is practicing this policy of trying to hide the hemorrhaging of members by artificially creating wards by dropping the number of people necessary to be in a ward.
1: Yeah, because uh, the number used to be, I think, 250 for a ward. Is that
2: right? I remember 200, but I was never really involved in those, those, uh, yeah. those numbers or anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, Canada in particular has one of the lowest members to congregation ratios in the world. Um, you know, And the highest, uh, we reported on this earlier in the Mormon News Roundup up a couple of months ago, would be Chile, where you had a, a thousand persons per congregation. That would be among the maximum that you would see. And, of course, uh, the, the, the best way, of course, well, the, a lot of other churches and other religions, the best way to report, uh, you know, your membership is to report the attendance in sacrament meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, of course, that information is taken uh, typically uh, and rolled up uh, typically every single week and then rolled up uh, once a quarter up into uh, higher headquarters. If that information was released, uh, we could certainly clear this all up.
2: That is the one critical number. You're right. We know they keep it. We see the clerics walking up and down the aisles counting in sacrament meeting and we know that that those numbers go up to salt lake and we know that that's the answer the answer is in those numbers to know how many people are actually attending church on a regular basis within the lds church that's the one number that they will never tell us it sounds like it's just
1: inevitable sooner or later it's going to happen
0: yeah, and the article also points out that the opportunity cost for membership in the church, it's, it's increased over time. And, and really, the people, the article points out that the people who are staying in the church are, are the ones for whom the church is a uh, good fit. Kind of reminds me of that Patrick Mason Mormon Stories interview where he said the church works really well for people... Who look like me, talk like me, and act like me. And uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I And the uh, article also uh, kind of speculates it says, well, maybe the church was growing faster back in the 90s when it was objectively stricter. And some of the uh, newer policies, you know, two hour church and, and less onerous uh, responsibilities, maybe that is uh, leading to uh, less fervency. I don't know if that's causal or if it's coincidence. Uh, what do you think, RFM?
2: I don't think it's coincidence. I do think it's causal, but I think it's the reverse of what's being suggested there, because here's how I see it. I see the church as being very strict back when I joined in 1978. And that was part of the beauty of the church. We know what it is we have to do. This isn't easy. We have to fast once a month for 24 hours, not one minute less, by the way, 24 hours, at least that's how I was trained when I joined the church. And it was very strict. But the whole thing is this, is that The internet came along, information became more widely available to people, podcasts came along, message boards came along, all sorts of ways of people communicating with each other about things that they could not talk about with anybody else in their ward and they thought they were the only ones who felt this way. So what's happening is people are beginning to exit the church. So this is my theory, okay? People are beginning to exit the church. What the church is doing to respond to that is to make it less onerous. Okay, so that's what I mean, causal, but reversed from what the way that this was being suggested in the article. So they're responding to it. It is causal, but they're trying to get people to come back by making it easier to be a Mormon. And they're finding it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because it has never occurred to them that people aren't leaving the church because it's hard to be a Mormon. They're leaving the church because they're finding out that the church leaders are not worth following.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of this also comes from the internal surveys that the church research department sends out. And, and I've looked at a number of these surveys, and a lot of them ask uh, members uh, about how they feel about the, um, the difficulties with being a good Latter-day Saint, whether they feel that it is onerous, whether they feel that it is overwhelming, whether they feel that there is too much to do. And it seems like there's been a preoccup- preoccupation from at church headquarters to talk about how difficult it is and how people often feel like they don't uh, live up to it. And uh, I think that a lot of the changes that we've seen, especially under Russell M. Nelson's uh, tenure, are trying to address those uh, survey concerns. Yeah, and I will say this, that I don't think those survey results are actually
2: correct. I think that the church leaders have it so ingrained in their mind that the reason people leave is because they just can't do everything that's required of them. You know, that's a common trope among church members. People leave the church Mm -hmm. while they did they couldn't obey everything. It was too hard for them. They wanted to have Sundays off. They wanted to not have to pay tithing. Uh, the, yeah. All those kinds of things, right? They wanted to drink coffee. Mm-hmm. That is largely not true. true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but though, they believe mm-hmm. it is true to the extent that they think that making it easier to be a Mormon will bring people back when that's not the reason most of them left in the first place.
0: Yeah, if you look at John DeLynn's study, uh, which is one of the largest studies on ex-Mormons, which has about 3,000 people in it, you know, the reasons that people, he broke that down according to men and women, and the reasons that people were leaving, a lot of men leave over uh, doctrinal issues, and a lot of women, I know this is a stereotype, but that's just what the survey said, men often leave over doctrinal issues, women also often leave over um, uh, social issues, uh, you know, like uh, uh, same-sex marriage, LGBTQ issues, and um, personal relationships, And and that really does not have much to do. If you look at his survey, you know, the the, the desire of ex-Mormons to want to quote unquote sin ranks extremely low. And that's probably one of the biggest surveys that we've seen um, on that particular issue. Yeah. So once
2: again, the church is chasing its tail, trying to deal with an issue that it itself has created, but has no clue as
1: to what it is that it's doing that's leading people away. And I, I think there's a select group of people. Um, well, let's see, last summer we had a, a guest on here. In fact, he, he's going to be coming back. Um, we'll talk about that later. But uh, he uh, he was the one that accused BYU of being uh, too liberal. And, uh, and I, I think that you're going to find people uh, that are of his persuasion and that kind of mindset that I think they find more of a problem with the church uh, changing and not... Uh, not drawing that hard line, not sticking to what the teachings have been. Um, And so I I could see people uh, on that side of the spectrum walking away from the church because the church is becoming too lenient in their mind. Yeah, well, that's what caused the huge split with
2: polygamy back in
1: 1890. Yeah, Mm exactly. Exactly
0: yeah um oh that's that's uh thanks for your thoughts on that let's uh well, let's let's keep it going we got a couple last articles to get through and this is um actually a very interesting article article here which is uh posted on 31 october 2022 by rhett nelson from the east idaho news and he says latter-day saint church building will be a new home for a local food bank so uh, the church uh, uh generous donation will provide uh, this uh, particular church which is no longer being used to the idaho falls community food basket and this is uh, in stark contrast to what you Usually happens with it when the church has a chapel that they no longer need often you will see those being put up for sale they, I've seen them uh, uh being sold for as much as a, a million dollars between usually a million and two million dollars talking about North American chapels in particular and we're seeing a very generous donation here from the church and uh that seems um uh, like I want to give the church a lot of props for that
2: I know I typically would too um first off let's say the the thing that's not being stated is the premise okay of this whole story Mm -hmm. is the church is getting rid of chapels this is very different from when i joined the church in 1978 when the common expression was that is that the church is completing a new chapel every day that's how much it's growing you build chapels when you're growing you get rid of chapels when you're shrinking that much should be obvious to anybody and if they if they actually donated this building good for them i hate to be cynical but my experience with the lds church has been that they don't do anything out of the goodness of their heart and that there's another shoe to drop on this story and if we knew the rest of the story we would find out how much money the church is getting for donating this chapel to the food bank
0: you mean like a tax deduction
2: it could could be that it could be uh, funding from the the government
1: yeah Mm. right yeah i don't
2: think that they are doing this well I was going to say out of the goodness of their heart. Let me, let me back off from that. I don't think they're doing this in a way that's going to be financially bad for them. They typically do things that they feel are going to be financially good for them.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. What do you think, Al, about this, this donation for a food bank? I've never come across something like this before. It's not like I know every news article that's come, but I've never seen anything that's like this that I can recall.
1: Exactly. We've seen, um, a couple of things I note about this. Uh, one, we we see the church um, put their uh, old buildings uh, that are no longer of use uh, up for sale. And so you'll, you'll see LDS churches on the market. Um, so it does happen from time to time. They have to get rid of uh, old unused buildings that, that they just don't have a use for. So this is one thing. Uh, another thing is that there's been a lot of pushback um in recent years about the LDS church not uh, engaging in the um, let's see I think it was actually uh, Elder Bednar addressed this or I I, I think he quoted uh, Dallin Oaks who originally addressed this, and he said that we don't we, um, the church is here to tend to things that the world cannot um, uh, handle, such as so that the, the church handles spiritual matters. the world handles the temporal matters. and you know there's been a lot of criticism about not having uh, homeless shelters or uh, women shelters, food banks, um, you know missions like uh, I'm thinking for like orphanages or you know the, these kinds of services, right. Uh, so I wonder if this is the the LDS church doing a little test on in that area to see what the response is going to be. Maybe this is something you'll see more of.
0: Well, I I certainly hope that we do. And that does bring us to our Mormon News Roundup poll of the week, which is available only on Anchor. So if you come on over to Anchor, you can interact and take our poll, and we'd be delighted if you did. And uh, I'd like to to have RFM, if you wouldn't mind, uh, be our first person to take this poll. And Al, what is the poll that goes along with this uh, particular article this week?
1: Okay, So the poll question is, what is the best use for abandoned LDS chapels? Is it number one? Chick fil A franchise.
0: Yeah, and all, that seems like a pretty good fit, doesn't it? I mean, you know, the Christian organization, it seems like you could just convert that right over. I mean, it's already got a kitchen, right? And bathrooms. You just need a drive through. Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Or uh, how
0: about uh, number two?
2: An MLM company
1: headquarters.
0: Yeah, kind of a multi-level marketing company uh, Company headquarters. Uh, does it have kind of a similar vibe to it, Al? Or?
1: It certainly does, and it's uh, in the proper shape already. I mean, you have those uh, steep, slanted roofs on every LDS chapel that I've seen.
0: Oh, yeah, like the triangle to the top. Uh, yeah, yep, that exactly. That... <laughs> or what about uh, uh, number three, uh, RFM?
2: Right. Once again, under the, the, the heading of what is the best use for abandoned LDS chapels, number three, a YMCA. Except there, it would have to be a YMMA, wouldn't it? Oh,
1: uh, right. Yeah. I would think so. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the font makes perfect, uh, the perfect sauna.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, you could convert that over. Uh, my son, I did ask him about this poll, and he said, actually, it would work out perfectly for a YMCA. Uh, throw a couple of pool tables in there, and you are good to go. So, yeah, uh, YMCA seems like it would be all right. Or, or how about number four? Number
2: four, Apostles, second, um, third vacation homes
0: yeah we already know they got second vacation homes i believe in midway that's the rumor on the street so maybe they need a third
2: maybe maybe it seems kind of uh big
1: yeah, they're, they're sizable for i mean it would fit their whole families that's for sure
2: but who wouldn't yeah. want a home with its own inside basketball court
1: exactly yeah number,
2: number five i'm sorry did i step on your line go ahead sure Number 5, laser tag arena.
0: Yeah, it seems like a, a perfect uh it's our, you could turn the, the cultural hall in particular seems like you could just put up the barriers in the middle of it. it seems like that'd be perfect uh, fit. Or what about number 6? Number
2: 6, a Christian science reading room.
0: Yeah, I've been to some of those and they kind of have the same smell I've noticed.
2: What have you been doing in the Christian science reading room? I've never seen anybody ever reading in a Christian science reading room. <laughs> Did you actually well, I- go to a Christian science reading room and read something?
0: Well, RFM, I've, been, I've uh, never seen anyone in, a, in an LDS chapel on a Tuesday morning at 9.30 and at 9.30 a.m. either. That's why, I, that's why I think it'd be a great fit. Yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, or how about number seven?
2: Number seven, an Enzyme Peak gold bar, in other words, gold bullion, surplus storage facility.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to store it somewhere, right? Yeah, it'd be like Fort Knox. Yeah, why not? Uh, you know, uh, not a bad idea, but, you know, uh, maybe the granite vault up Little Cottonwood Canyon, well, that might be a better fit for that. am not sure.
2: You know, I know it says a lot about my age, but I can never hear the name Fort
0: Knox without immediately
2: thinking of Goldfinger.
0: Ah, uh, very true. <laughs> so which one of these do you think RFM, I know this is not the best poll in the world, but uh, what do you think is the best uh, use for abandoned LDS chapels based off of this uh, uh, totally ridiculous poll?
2: I think probably Oh, gosh, it's tough. It's between an MLM because, you know, that's kind of what it was used for originally. MLM Company Headquarters, right? You bet. Or YMCA. I think that would be great to have a YMCA there in a chapel.
0: Yeah, why not? Absolutely. So if you're uh, to our listeners out there, if you'll drop us a like, drop us a, a subscription um, and give us a five star rating, we'd appreciate that. And if you come on over to Anchor, then you can interact with us at this poll. This podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Signature Books, www.signaturebooks.com. We invite you to check out their latest book written by Romney Burke, which is entitled Susie Young Gates, Daughter of Mormonism.
1: Brigham Young had over 50 wives and 56 children, but none has better name recognition than daughter Susie Young Gates. She lived from 1856 and died in 1933. Yet she, like so many women of Mormonism's past, has remained a mystery to most church members. In Susie Young Gates, Romney Burke, the author, paints a portrait of a strong woman who rose to prominence within the church, fought for the rights of women throughout the country, yet dealt with personal trials and her share of heartbreak.
0: Yeah, okay, our next article here, this is really making the rounds here. Brother Corbett, uh, bro- Brother uh, brother Amon S. Corbett made, made a very interesting talk here uh, recently here. And this uh, was uh, on the Church News website here by Trent Toon, 1st of November, 2022. And uh, Brother Amon S. Corbett, how can activism, uh, how activism against the church can blind mislead valiant souls? So Brother Corbett is part of the uh, First Counselor in the Young Men's General Presidency. And he spoke to a chaplain's conference, uh, uh, here recently and he basically uh gives the argument that there's no such thing as a righteous activism in the church um how'd you feel about the article there um uh, that uh for this week al uh
1: this one it's a little uh interesting because <laughs> I, I i guess I, I, all right when, when it comes to like you know any organization that wants to maintain its uh status quo or its uh its firm grip on uh, the, the helm of said organization. Of course, they're going to resist activism, and they're going to resist any kind of protest. However, that's the only way that uh, any kind of uh, change for the better gets made. So I, I think that this is something that, um, well, yeah, Brother Corbett really misses the mark here. I think uh, he needs to take a good hard look, especially considering that he's in a, a mixed fake marriage. So, I mean, you know, we've kind of been making the javelin jokes. Well, this was, this javelin joke, that was a real thing back under Brigham Young. And if it hadn't have been for, um, for, for change uh, from protest or activism, then his uh, marriage would uh, be doomed to a javelin, really.
0: Yeah, RFM, what do you think about activity? He calls it ATC here, Brother Corbett says that it's called activism towards the church, ATC. ATC is uh, inspired by Lucifer, basically. Um, how'd you feel about the talk?
2: I thought it was really, really in poor taste. But once again, I don't usually care so much about what is said as about why it is that they're saying what they're saying. And so they chose one of the very few black leaders in the church to give an address denouncing activism against the church, which makes me think that the main people that they're thinking of when they're giving this message are people who are also people of color, like the black menaces.
0: Oh, so you think that this is a bit, uh, somewhat veiled shot against the um, the black menaces who, who someone might consider to be the biggest activists who are uh, internal activists towards the church? Yeah,
2: I think so. I mean, it's not reserved exclusively to them but i think that the church um you know once again i hope this doesn't sound too cynical i think the church taps brother corbett to talk anytime they want a message being given through a person of color because those issues are boiling around the surface like when he had to come on and try and give cover for oh his other counselor in the young men's presidency. Jeez, what was his name again?
0: I believe you're uh, speaking about Brad Wilcox.
2: Yeah, Brad Wilcox steps in it bad with uh, making some comments at a fireside. I think it was in Alpine to the young people there. And it gets circulated. People find out that he's saying these things which sound really problematic about race relations and his rather glib attitude about the priesthood ban. And so they have... Brother Corbett, come on, was it the following week or was it two weeks later? It was the next time Brad Wilcox appeared in order to basically take the helm and give a talk about how it is that Brad Wilcox isn't racist.
0: Right. You know, and I think about the activism uh, that is in the his- history, you know, maybe um, I think about like September 6th, ordained women, um, they seem to have affected change. There's been a lot of change that you might be able to tie to that. Sam Young, uh, Bishop Sam Young, who's excommunicated. But if you think back, even in the scriptures, you know, the brother Jared, he went to God and said, hey, we made these wooden submarines and, and the, it's not working here. Um, You've got to help us out. That's basically activism in my mind. You know, the children of Israel with Moses, they said, hey, we have no water. We're going to starve out here. You have a bad plan. And that's why he struck the uh, rock and water came forth. same with the food. Hey, uh, Moses, your plan is bad. We're all going to starve. So he brought forth the quails. Even Abraham, um, he he was trying to convince God not to destroy Sodom saying, hey, God, um, what you're up to is not working for us. And even think about Emma and the word of wisdom and Jesus himself, he criticized religious leaders constantly. So you know, there seems to have been a divine pattern of activism towards uh, uh, religious leaders that seems to um, get things done.
2: Yeah, and those are all great comments, but I'll tell you from the 20,000 foot view, what's going on is that church leaders at the top are tired of being embarrassed by activists. And that would include Sam Young too, even though that's been a while. What he did was very much activism. And they're tired of being embarrassed by members of the church being public about their disagreement with the way the church is led. And so they send out uh, Brother Corbett again to give a talk to try and quash that because the leaders of the church want to have a space where they can say whatever they want and do whatever they want and have absolutely no repercussions, and no consequences, and no criticism.
1: Yeah, it really seems like they're just using uh, Brother Corbett as kind of a uh, a PR janitor to go around and clean up whatever messes are started by uh, members or leaders alike, right?
0: Yeah, the irony, though, is that a lot of the things that Sam Young uh, wanted and was excommunicated for, um, the needle has really swung And you can have a a parent, you can have an adult leader now in uh, conversations with bishops. And in fact, the Strength of the Youth pamphlet, they took out masturbation here a short time ago and a bunch of other things. So a lot of the things that he wanted, they've come to pass. And and, and it's hard for me to imagine that those things were not brought about, at least in part, by his and uh, his efforts and those who were uh, closely affiliated with him.
2: Yeah, and I'm look. so glad they took masturbation out of the for the, the strength of youth pamphlet, because I have been waiting for 40 years, and it hasn't been easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I but, hate to tell uh, you this, but it doesn't apply to you because you're not a youth anymore, RFM. No,
2: this yeah. is part of the, I'm sorry, that's funny, right? But then oh, I get serious funny. on you. This is part of the pattern that the church has of mm-hmm. infantilizing all of its members. Because they bring out the thing that is called for the strength of youth, and then they say this is a this is applicable to everybody in the church, including the adults.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, with regards to to Sam Young, I, I think the the what Sam Young was asking for wasn't only reasonable; it was a good thing. It was something that uh, anybody that has a child of their own is going to look at it and say. Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. I don't want my child uh, in a, a room with another adult and not me present to kind of supervise and chaperone that whole interaction. So, of course, you know it was a good idea, and that's why that change was implemented.
2: Right, and what you're saying, uh, as I understand it, is mm-hmm. that what elder you can't say elder; you're supposed to say brother because they're young men's presidency members, mm-hmm. and this is now yeah. the title <laughs> de jour but what elder i'll say elder he's an elder damn it only an elder (laughs) remember bruce r yeah elder corbett what elder corbett is saying is just not true not only is it kind of yucky to try and carve out the space for the leaders to never have any responsibility for anything they say or do it's also just false yeah activism is the only thing that has changed things in the church
0: exactly exclusion really comes to mind that 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 seems to be in particular in the recent uh, time something that really seemed to have been changed by activism
2: yeah absolutely it has been and the church was embarrassed because there were thousands of people wasn't it temple square in the following week in 2015 yeah. the following months who were uh resigning publicly mm-hmm.
1: yeah once again because this isn't not it's not just a good thing it's like the only reasonable uh, stance to take. I mean, I don't know any, uh, <laughs> any uh, level-headed adult that's going to look at this situation and say, oh no, I, I don't think that uh, we should have um, a parent in there to supervise a, an interaction where another adult is going to be talking to them about their sex life. Yeah, absolutely.
0: and I think Sam Young also was in favor of the background checks. We have not seen that uh, yet come to pass, but uh, the drumbeat seems to be getting louder for that as well. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I certainly hope that that happens in the near future. Anything else on this uh, article here, um, uh, gentlemen?
2: Yeah, take your vitamins because more revelations are coming. (laughs) You bet. Revelations that have nothing to do with activism, by the way.
0: Well, it's funny that you say that because that is our next article here by Sherry Dew, um, who uh, on, in Church News on 2nd of November, 2022, talking about Revelation, she explains that prophets can make you smarter and sustaining prophets in today's world takes faith, but not faith in them, faith in Jesus Christ who called them. So she basically makes a twofold argument that uh, uh, believing in prophets makes you smarter and that prophets have the ability to to uh, w- what she calls see around corners. Um, do prophets uh, make you
1: smarter, uh, Al? Um, <laughs> that's a, one would one would hope that they do. I mean, if we look at like um, going back to Deuteronomy 13, the whole purpose behind um, prophets is to uh, l- uh, see around the corner per se and to let you know about things that uh, you need to be aware of that are upcoming. Um I just don't see a whole lot of that happening from Temple Square, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, do RFM, do a uh, Prophet's help you see around corners? Uh, you're muted, RFM. Do a uh, do, uh, Prophet's help you see around corners, RFM? You're still I muted.
2: I know, I was, oh, sorry. I was messing with things to try and get things. Okay, now I'm here. Do they help me see around the corners? Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, (laughs) The thing that's really been surprising to me when looking at the decisions that church leaders have made, say, over the past 10 years, is that at any junction where they have a decision to make, they can actually be counted on to make the worst decision possible. And in fact, many times they have made decisions so bad that I could not have even conceived of somebody making a decision that bad. But they do it, and they do it regularly. No, if you want to know if prophets make you smarter, just conduct a scientific analysis of people watching General Conference and measure their IQ before and after, and you'll see what the facts are.
0: Um, that, that, I guess that is a scientific way of doing it, that's for sure. I, I, when I think about if prophets help you uh, get smarter, I think about did, they, did Joseph Smith help us get smarter in interpreting ancient Egyptian documents? Or um, if dogs have always been dogs and monkeys have always been monkeys uh, that, and um, not understanding genetics, does that make you smarter? Or believing in a 6,000-year-old earth, does that make you smarter? Or um, uh, rejecting death before the fall of Adam and Eve, does that make you smarter? And abandoning evidence in, in favor of a, a metaphysical construct, um, does that make you smarter? Do any of those things uh, help you make, make you smarter? Um, that, that's a real head-scratcher for me.
2: Yeah, and I know that um, Sherry do. I think she's a smart lady. I don't think she was made smart by prophets. I think she's smart genuinely on her own.
1: Yeah, she's very um, well educated. Yeah.
2: Yeah, she's a smart lady, but she um she kind of sacrifices that on the altar of slavish obedience to people who really aren't that smart. And what she does is she comes up with the idea prophets can see around corners. Well, she does this because she's going to tell a few stories. That maybe kind of looked like maybe a prophet might have seen something coming 10 years in advance or something, right? So she gives these really weak stories, but she uses this analogy of prophets can see around corners. It's like the prophets are engaged in a a gunfight with somebody at the other end of the street, and they're just peeking around a corner to see if, if they've got a shot. And all they can do is get a glimpse. Why don't we have a prophet who can walk out into the middle of the street, not just peek around the corner, look down the street, see what's coming. And let us know that would be worthwhile. That would be worth the six-figure salary that we pay these guys. But over and over again, they come up empty-handed in that regard.
0: That'd be worth not only a six-figure salary. That'd be worth like an eight-figure salary. <laughs> that'd be worth this weight in gold. Yeah, no, I for think real. About- profits prophets uh, did they see around corners when we were loaning divine manuscripts to slightly unstable farmers who promptly lost them? Was that seen around corners? Or, or when we were seeking treasures in a basement in Salem, was that seen around corners? Or when we were purchasing uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of documents from Mark Hoffman, was that seen around corners? Or did they see around corners with the policy of exclusion? Or, or the pandemic? Uh, I'm I'm trying to find times when the prophets were seeing around corners, and I haven't seen anything lately.
2: Well, that was the whole pandemic thing, right? And that's what Wendy said. And Wendy does sound a lot like Sherry. I mean, they're really close friends and they resemble each other in a number of ways, including the way that they speak and the things that they say. And so that was the whole thing. Well, the prophet, President Nelson, remember it was January 2020. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, Wendy says, oh, he's canceled all of our speaking engagements. Well, why did you do that? honey? And he says, oh, I don't know. I just thought maybe I should cancel them. Well, there's a prophet in the land who saw the pandemic coming. And I'm going, Wendy, honey, if he saw the pandemic coming, why didn't he give us a clue?
1: Yeah. Why why did he only clear your speaking schedule and not the rest of the world? Yes. And you're
2: talking about a church centric question. Why didn't Mm -hmm. you bring the missionaries home instead of instead of leaving them stranded overseas, like in places like Italy, which were devastated by
0: the pandemic. Or not call them to the foreign missions at all. See, they were recalled back to the United States. If we had seen the pandemic, they would have been all called to the United States. We would have been hollowing out all the foreign missions. And they would have said, well, what's the reason? They said, well, we don't know. That's just what the Lord wants. That's That's what you would expect to see if you were seeing around corners. Right, and she uses,
2: she being not Wendy, but Sherry, who's giving the talk we're talking about, She uses an example about the cell phones and how President Nelson was just insistent that missionaries should have cell phones. And of course, they're talking about, well, you know, there's all these problems that are going to come up if you let missionaries have cell phones. And all those problems came up. And President Nelson just keeps saying, well, I think they should have cell phones. Well, his insistence, which we're only getting her version of his insistence, right, that missionaries have cell phones suddenly becomes his ability to see around the corner that the pandemic is coming. So that when the pandemic hit and the missionaries can't go door to door, now they can proselyte using cell phones. So this is the kind of thing that Mormons do or anybody does that believes in miraculous things that really aren't happening, that they will look around and they will try and find absolutely anything to support their religious beliefs, even when it's obvious to the most casual objective observer that there's nothing really miraculous going on here.
0: Yeah, the example also that she used about uh, uh, the church getting out of debt, Um, uh, I I believe it was uh, from President Hinckley or Monson, who gave advice that, you know, church members should not be in debt. And that's the ability to um, see around corners or that they make you smarter. But, I mean, that just really just seems like a pretty reasonable and logical advice that just about anybody could give, I, I imagine.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, she says that President Hinckley said this in 1998. Right. And, of course, he said that in basically every general conference. You're having people saying, get out of debt, at least during that time period. I mean, oh, my yeah. gosh, this was a, a constant refrain of Mormon leaders. And it's not a bad idea. Of course, it's a little bit hypocritical to come from leaders of the church that's demanding you pay 10% off the top and then get yourself out of debt after you've given us 10% of your, uh, your income. But nevertheless, it's been a constant refrain. So uh, Sherry Dew says, yeah. And I said, OK, I'm going to do that. And so she worked hard and she paid off her house and God bless her that she can have a job where she can do that and pay off her house. But she says she got it paid off. And it was in time for 10 years later in 2008, when the economic crash happened. And so she was so glad that she had paid off her house because she didn't owe anybody anything. Uh, One would presume she still had to pay her taxes on the property and put food on the table. But nevertheless, that was a big deal for her i'm sure it relieved her of an obligation that otherwise would have been more onerous because of the huge crash but she is tracing all this back to something that president hinckley said 10 years before which is part of a constant refrain of people talking about it and she follows this it turns out to her benefit and so this is president hinckley seeing around a corner he knew it was coming
1: right Th- this yeah. is the same advice that Dave Ramsey gives every day on his radio show, right? Mm-hmm. So is Dave Ramsey a prophet as well, uh, for giving <laughs> that, that same advice? Apparently, <laughs> Well, he gives it to a much broader audience, I would say, than President Hinckley did. Yeah,
0: that's true. Uh, you know, and one last thing on that, when it comes to, especially since we talked about the pandemic, um, you know, the, the, the mentions of, uh, when you go onto the latter uh, LDS, uh, General Conference Corpus uh, uh, website, and you search for food storage, you know, the mentions of food storage really peaked in, uh, I believe it was in the 1980s in particular, because that was a big thing for uh, Spencer W. Kimball. And then they steadily decreased all the way up until the 2010s. And in the, to- and on the totality of the 2010s, I believe there was only two references to food storage. In the entire general conference talks, so that's quite a few talks, and of course, that is the only time that really a food storage has really been needed in the last I, I don't know a very long period of time, and yet the it didn't peak with when the food storage was really needed, but it was just peaked according to uh, President Kimball's peculiar uh, wishes or his a uh, uh, particular you know vanity projects really.
2: Oh, I remember because Elder Bednar went up in conference right after it, it would have been in April of 2020, I think. No, I don't think he was that Johnny on the spot. I think it waited till October of 2020. Okay. And that's where we're, we're well into the pandemic, the worldwide fast not having succeeded. And so then he wants to resurrect this idea about food storage, which they haven't talked about for a decade. Yeah. And he goes back to earlier addresses and saying, you should have been paying attention to what we said over a decade ago and had your food storage ready. And that if you had paid attention to us, then you wouldn't be in the trouble you're in
1: now um does does food storage stay um viable for 10 years um i I know it does depend
2: on the food storage and you're supposed to change it in and change it out and dry goods last longer than wet goods and all that kind of stuff
1: but generally
2: people who are faithful mormons got the food storage they were supposed to which was originally for two years by the way Mm -hmm. back when i joined the church yeah in
1: 1978
2: that was before my mission to japan
1: and going to texas <laughs> oh, to be a dance
2: major by the way <laughs> oh,
0: okay. hold it hold it take a take a little break here i need a little moment here you're gonna okay. need three little moments okay yeah. all
2: right <laughs> but yeah so um i can't remember where i was going with that before i had that uh, that little tangent to make uh, sure yeah, that the, you uh, got it, well it, lubricated
1: yeah it was supposed to be a, a two-year um supply of food and, and yes uh, they and said then it the went own- to one year yeah. And then it and went it,
2: to like three months, then it went away altogether. There was a progression yeah. to this disappearance of it's being talked about. And now they want to talk about like, oh, we've been talking about this all the time. Well, if you could really see around the freaking corner, why didn't you tell us, I don't know, a year before the pandemic, that uh, the pandemic's coming and you guys need to get two years of food storage and all this other kind of stuff.
1: Let, let, let's follow the pattern of uh, Joseph uh, in and his amazing technicolor dream coat yeah. where, yeah, the pharaoh has a dream there's going to be seven years of famine uh, or seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. So, you know, that's plenty of time and plenty of uh, uh, um, foresight to give you uh, adequate time to prepare and means to prepare. But instead, this is just like, oh, we, we told you 10 years ago, you should have listened to us back then. Well, yeah, you've been telling us even longer than 10 years before, going back 50, 60 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Um, Yeah, uh, all all very good points, gentlemen. That does bring us to our final news article of the week, which is a new national survey shows what Americans think about Latter-day Saints. And this is from the B.H. Roberts Foundation, which was a foundation that I was not uh, familiar with, but uh, uh, they published a very interesting poll here on November 5th, 2022. And it says that most Americans uh, neither like nor dislike Latter-day Saints. And this was a real big shocker to me, and it says that one in three Americans believe that Mormons still practice polygamy today. And I had no idea that it was going to be that high.
2: Right. Well, I can understand why it would be that high. First off, that's the first thing that most people think of when they think about Mormons is polygamy, right? And there's been all these shows on about fundamentalist offshoot groups practicing polygamy just this past year. So it's been very much in the public conscience, even more so than usual. and my question is, this survey that they did, how much did they distinguish the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Utah Mormons, the Brighamite Mormons, with the other offshoots? Because the other offshoots also call themselves Mormons. And so if one in three Americans think Mormons practice polygamy, they're right.
1: Yeah. Uh, early on, in, in when we started this podcast, we kind of uh, coined the term that uh, to refer to yourself as Mormon, I would define that as anybody that follows the teachings of Joseph Smith, because he's really the, the source of the term Mormon. Uh, before him, you don't really have it. And so he's kind of the, the source of it. So anybody that follows Joseph Smith, and whether that's, you know, the the Warren Jeffs, um, FLBS Church, or any of the hundreds of sects out there, um, the, the, the term Mormon really applies to a lot more than just the Brighamite sect out of Salt Lake City, even though they're the ones that uh, have the copyright.
0: True. Yeah, and, and when I read in the article itself, it says that uh, uh, the conclusions of the survey was that most people, they know very little about Latter-day Saints. In fact, how they had the people take a quiz about just some very, very basic LDS beliefs and practices, and four out of the five people who took the survey failed the test completely.
2: Was that survey given to the Mormons?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there might have been some in there, but most, most of these folks who are members of other faiths or of no religion whatsoever.
2: Because I could see most Mormons getting four out of five questions uh-huh. wrong about LDS belief and practice.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I know. Can
0: I. yeah yeah well and and the survey also said that the oh, maybe that the reason that people are getting their uh, information incorrect is that the biggest sources of information for most people about latter-day saints is off of facebook and tiktok and those are not exactly um founts of uh, wisdom we'll just put it that way
2: well no they're not but it also reminds me of the fact that people said and correctly so that they learn more about lds church history from watching south park than they did from attending church yeah, that's
1: yeah. been said over and over again, that true, yeah.
0: In fact, in fact, only like half of Americans even know a Latter-day Saint whatsoever, I mean, because there's only, you know, maybe 8 million uh, Latter-day Saints in the United States, and uh, only maybe, if you're lucky, half of those are active, and that's only still only 1%, so we're talking a very, very small percentage here of uh, people that we're discussing.
2: Well, that's because they live in Canada, and all the Mormons are busy saying that they're not Mormons.
0: <laughs> or maybe they're moving or maybe they're moving to canada to bolster those numbers that we saw the 8% uh, growth i don't know yeah the bottom line here from this entire uh, article here this is the bottom line here most people are totally ambivalent about mormons they really just they don't it doesn't cross their minds they don't care that much about them and they just they don't have that they don't have firm opinions about them and they just they're just ambivalent altogether
1: and that really makes sense to me, because, I mean, when you think about somebody, of, you know, say a Methodist, what 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 are the tenets of the Methodist faith? I don't know. Well, haven't uh, you read
2: your Book of Mormon lately?
1: I haven't. You'll I find would,
2: Methodism you, delineated in the, its pages.
1: Yeah, I, I remember reading something about uh, Methodism or Methodists in the, uh, uh, um, the Joseph Smith history at the back of the Pearl Great Price. So, it wasn't positive things I read there, but. It was, well, it
0: he was he, so, actually he yeah. said he felt somewhat partial to the Methodist sect. So he had yeah. nothing. Uh, he had nothing but good things to say about Methodists. But after the first vision, he told his mother that he had learned for himself that Presbyterianism
1: is not true. Oh, that's so, right. it's The Presbyterians that he had not nice things to say. Right? So. Screw the Presbyterians. Yeah, yeah, let's go with the Methodists. Yeah, you got. It. But
2: you're right. Even myself, okay. Uh, if you look at uh, pres- any of these uh, religions, uh, if it's Baptist, mm-hmm. if it's Methodist, if it's Presbyterianism, if it's Pentecostalism, if it's Episcopalianism, if it's Catholicism, yeah. whew. Or, I don't or, know much about these churches. I don't know much about these churches. Church- I'm right. sorry, is anybody there? Were no, okay? sorry.
1: Yeah, uh, sorry. I was just saying like any of the other churches like, you know, uh, Islam or uh, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, how much do we know about these other right.
2: Complaints. The only thing that you're going to know if you know anything are the things that are unusual, kind of like everything else in life. So it's not strange that people who are not Mormons, the only thing they know about Mormons is that they practice polygamy.
1: Certainly seems to be the big theme, doesn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. Um, Well, I think we've, uh, unless anybody has anything else, I think we've ruminated enough on the Great and Spacious Beehive. I do want to give a slight report here that uh, we, uh, for the first time, looked at all of our analytics across all of our platforms here, and that the Mormon News Roundup uh, uh, on all platforms, that's uh, Anchor, uh, Spotify, um, uh, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, uh, Browser, Direct uh, Reviews, we just passed uh, 25,000 plays across all platforms, which for us, I I know RFM usually get that on one episode, but for us, that is a big
2: deal. Well, congratulations. You can expect that to drop precipitously after this episode.
1: <laughs> Are you I, This I, will I be did. our biggest listen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we'll see about that. I doubt that very much. We do have uh, Greg from Quick Media. He's coming onto the program next week again. He was uh, very mm-hmm. popular when we had him on before. He runs a, a tremendous channel. And I also have an interview that I uh, did. Uh, I was interviewed on the Fla- uh, the Art of Floundering podcast. And that uh, interview will be released on uh, November 27th. Our uh, Radio Free Mormon, we want to thank you so much uh, for coming onto our podcast, even though right now I am absolutely hammered. I am smashed from all of the references, but uh, it was all worth it.
2: Well, thank you. If you want to donate to the Mormon News Roundup, please just go to radiofreemormon.org and hit the donate button.
0: <laughs> well, you said that we already said that we're giving 50% of our donations to you. That was the uh, that was the retainer agreement. Yeah, that's so, your
2: personal income. I'm trying to yeah. siphon off <laughs> oh. your listeners now.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, uh, that, that, well, we wish you the very best in uh, your podcast. I certainly catch uh, all the episodes and uh, uh, it's been a pleasure to uh, speak with you. Thank you very much. I
2: had a great time.
1: Yeah, thank you again. And uh, uh, in closing, we want to give a shout out to Weird Alma for giving us the music for this, uh, this and every episode. Uh, thank you so much for ruminating with us on The Great and Spacious Beehive. And remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. But RFM's going to give it the old college try. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the
2: Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Satan.
0: Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.